This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec, the place to stay updated and educated. Tech Guide, episode 408. Hello and welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me once again and welcome to any first-time listeners. My name is Stephen Fennec. I'm the editor of techguide.com.au. On this week's show, Apple has kicked off its public beta program, so you can install iOS 14 on your iPhone right now. The flying cars we've been promised for decades are finally here, and they're being tested in Australia. And what can we expect from Samsung's upcoming unpacked event next month? In the Tech Guide reviews, we're going to take a look at the Echo Auto, so you can take Alexa on the road. We'll also chat about the new Samsung soundbars that have more audio channels than ever before, and Belkin has launched some new charging solutions for your Apple products. And we'll answer all of your tech questions in the Tech Guide help desk, and it's all brought to you by Netgear, the company that keeps you connected and Norton, the company that keeps you protected. Well, you cast your mind back a few weeks ago, we were talking about the Worldwide Developers Conference, and that was where Apple unveiled its new operating systems for iPhone, Mac, for iPad, Watch OS, and Apple TV. And these, the, the idea of introducing them at the Worldwide Developers Conference is to give developers an idea of what tools they're working with. So what, what can we do here? So whether they're, they're developing for the iPhone, the iPad, this is their toolbox. This is what the software can do, the new features, and then they are, they're able to utilize all these new features in their code and then bring that to to their apps, and then Apple then brings it to your devices through the App Store. Very simple. The whole ecosystem is, is huge, but uh, it is Apple is uh, one of those companies that is is c- consistent in like every year you're getting a new operating system, and the path to upgrade is really easy. Anyone who's listening, who's an Android user. It is very difficult to get the latest version of Android when you want it because Android is scattered across various different brands of phones. There has to be also approval from various telcos around the world. So it's a different proposition. Apple control it end-to-end here and design their software to be used to be useful on a, a, a fair amount of products dating back a few years. Let's let, take the iPhone, for example, the latest iOS 14, which is available on the Apple public beta program, which we'll talk about in one sec, that can be run as far back as the iPhone 6s. So it's that 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 just they give those devices a longevity straight away because that this is potentially that's a five-year-old phone that can run brand new software that's released in 2020 which is pretty good. And that's why Apple's attachment rate, so the rate at which people upgrade their operating system, is often in the you know, above 85 into the 90% range because it's just really easy to do. And the latest opportunity for customers is right now available through the Apple Beta software program. So here is a, it's been around for a few years, the Beta software program where about roughly nearly a month after the initial announcement. In this case, 
WWDC was back in, uh, I think, June 22nd it started or 23rd. So here we are three, nearly four weeks later, and Apple has already kicked off away this program to allow you to download that software right now rather than waiting till it's all said and done, the final version is available in September, you get to be a public beta tester. And with the, with the upgrade, the install comes a new assistant app, which allows you then to report any bugs and go from there. I've been using iOS 14 for over a week now, and it has been relatively bug-free. I haven't had any issues. Most of the apps work. 99% of the apps work. There was a real strange thing where one of my banking apps, I'm a, of a member of a credit union, which is now called, uh, it's changed its name recently, and uh, for some reason that app won't open on, on iOS 14. So hopefully there'll be an update soon. That's normally what happens when these when the final version is available for everybody, um, I'm, I'm tipping it's around September, sort of roughly in time for the new iPhone, what you'll see is a flood of updates for all these apps to be upgradable to iOS 14. So they, they, they will work on that operating system as best they can. So now, with the Apple, the beta software program, the public beta software program, you are able today, from right now, to upgrade your iPhone and your iPad. Now, soon you'll be able to do the same with your Mac. So you'll be able to use Mac OS Big Sur, the beta version of that. And for the first time, if you're an Apple Watch owner, you'll also be able to, to test out the new Watch OS 7. The Watch OS has never been on the public beta, the Apple beta software program, but uh, they are, for the first time, Watch OS 7 is joining the program for the first time. So if you're a, if you're an Apple Watch user, iPhone user, Mac user, uh, you've got you've got all th- all three you can upgrade. Well, iPad as well, iPad, iPhone, Mac, and Apple Watch. That's four systems you can be testing uh, before before the September launch of the final version. Now, a few things before you get started. I, some of you may be excited, really want to get this installed straight away. Uh, let me just sort of talk to you a little bit. So just hold your horses for a moment. First thing you need to do before you install on iOS 14 on your iPhone or iOS 14, iPad OS 14 on your iPad, first thing you need to do is back up all your devices. Have a backup in the cloud, on your computer, wherever you put your backups, please back up before updating to the public beta software. Now, probably nothing will happen, but this is just in case something happens. You don't want to lose your stuff. And Apple really put that out there in, in big writing. They highlight this fact, backup, backup, and backup all your devices before updating to the public beta software. So we're going to talk you through now how you do it. I've got all this written down on, on Tech Guide, by the way, but I thought I'd just talk you through it here as well. If you're an iPhone user and you want to update to the iOS 14 beta software, you need to use your iPhone naturally and head over to the Apple beta software program page. And I've, I've linked it. There, there is a link on the Tech Guide, uh, on our story on Tech Guide. And what you'll need to do, first of all, is install a new profile. So on the on the the beta page, it talks you through it. It's step by step. You you install a new profile, and then once once this downloads, you go to the, your settings, general, and then down the bottom of that list uh, after you hit general, you'll see a section called profiles. 
And it's here you'll see a profile for iOS 14 Beta 2. Once you hit install on this, it will install that profile and then will prompt you to restart your iPhone. Once your phone is restarted, after that restart, you go to Settings, General, and then in the Software Update section, you will find, waiting for you, the iOS 14 Public Beta 2 Update, and that will be then ready to install. So that, that is pretty simple, and it works in, in almost the identical way on iPad OS 14. So if you're an iPad user, same deal. You need to use your iPad to go to the public beta software page. And again, you need to install that profile. Once you've installed the profile, your iPad will be prompt, prompted to restart your iPad. And then once it's restarted, go to Settings, General, Software Update, and iPad iPad OS 14, public beta number, tw number 2, will be there for you to install. It's as simple as that. And then once it'll take roughly uh, probably about 20 minutes to half an hour to install. So uh, be sure to have a good Wi-Fi connection, maybe even have your phone plugged into power once, you've, uh, once you're doing that install. And then once it restarts, you'll be able to enjoy all the new features, which include on the on iOS 14. So if you're an iOS, if you're an iPhone user, the biggest thing you're going to notice is the changes you can make to the home screen. Now on my home screen, I've now got a weather widget in the top right hand corner. Uh, on my second page, I've also got like what they call a smart stack, which allows me to scroll through podcast music, all my stuff uh, in one place as well. So the, that, that's that's just visually, it's a it's a nice change to what you're used to looking at. But you'll also be able to access the app library, which which intelligently organises all of your apps. So they uh, you'll have a folder for your recently installed apps, your most used apps. So you, it is a lot easier to get to what you want. There's still the search functionality. You know, you swipe down on your home screen, type in what you want to search for. But in in uh, in the app gallery. In the app library, I should say, you will have not only a folder view but also a list view of what you want to look through as well. The other, the other new improvements are the widgets themselves. So they dragged across from uh, into your home page, and the there are various uh, widgets you can choose from. I know you guys using Android are thinking widgets. That's iOS 14 equals Android 2014. I hear you and I agree with you. But this is a first for Apple customers, uh, for, for Apple users who've never used an Android phone in their life. This is brand new to them. So I know that you're probably rolling your eyes thinking, yeah, that's, this is old stuff, mate. But for Apple users, iPhone users, this is all brand new. The other new feature is picture in picture. So you can have a, you can float your FaceTime call or maybe even your YouTube video while you're doing something else. Siri's also been changed. It's a little bit more discreet now. So when you ask for, for Siri, it'll come up at the bottom of the screen rather than making your whole screen blank. Same thing for when you're receiving a phone call. If you're looking at a web page or doing something, this little discreet little notification pops in at the top. If you tap it, it will go full screen. Or if you, you can even tap answer or reject on that little pop-up as well. And you can be talking on the phone and without disturbing what you're already looking at. But... They're just some of the many, many new features in, in iOS 14 
now with iPad OS, there are a few new features there. Uh, one of them, the biggest change I think, is the the new compact design. It's it's a little bit more, a little different. Uh, again, with those discrete notifications and Siri interactions at the top of the top of the screen. The, there's now redesigned sidebars as well, which makes it easier to manage and navigate your apps as well. Widgets have also uh, come into play and now rest on the left-hand side of the homepage. You know, with iOS 13, they introduced this little, your sort of, you can pin to the homepage all your little shortcuts and little, uh, the, the sort of the, the notification center there. They are now, have been redesigned to suit what, what is been, has been introduced into, into iOS 14 as well. The other improvements with the iPad, of course, is Apple Pencil use. Scribble is a new feature that will convert your handwriting to text and allow users to even select handwritten words and move text around just like it's as if it's typed text as well. And everything, anything written in any text field will be converted and recognized as text. It will also recognize phone numbers and addresses and make them active when searching for maps and, and making calls. So if, say, for example, you wrote someone's name with an Apple Pencil in a note and you clicked on that number, it will give you the option of calling that number. So that's something you've just written down. It'll recognize it's a phone number. Same thing with addresses. It'll recognize its address and address and go to Apple Maps and show you where it is as well. So some pretty cool features there. If you are an Apple user, an iPhone, iPad user, here's your opportunity to get a flying start into their new operating systems, iOS 14 and iPad OS 14. All the links and all the, also links to all those new features that I spoke about, you can find at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. Now, how long has it been that we were promised flying cars? If anyone, anyone who's a Back to the Future fan, and I'm one of them, I love Back to the Future, the, the, that film came out in 1985. The sequel came out in 1989, I believe. And in Back to the Future 2, that, so that was the 1989 film, there were flying cars, so the DeLorean had a had a hover conversion, and uh, if you if you're old enough to remember a cartoon called The Jetsons, which was kind of a futuristic show cartoon, I think it was it was created in the in the sixties, so that gave a little bit of and and in some parts of The Jetsons it actually got it right. Some some parts of the the Jetsons were the future they predicted actually came true, like flat screen TVs and big screens. And anyway, one of the things that they predicted, of course, were flying cars as well. And finally, the flying car is becoming closer to reality. In fact, they've just set up a testing facility in the New South Wales country town of Narromine. So this, this town uh, is uh, in the central west of New South Wales, so obviously a remote area, chosen because it provides ideal flying conditions all year round, and of course not a lot of other air traffic or any other traffic for that matter in the area. Uh, and the company that, that's, uh, being, that's going to set up operations out there, if they're testing operations, is an Australian company called AMSL Aero. And uh, they've done that with the help of a, of a near million dollar New South Wales government grant for the Regional Investment Attraction Fund. So what they've done, they're going to set up their testing facilities out there so that at the end of this year when they begin development and hopefully complete it by early 2021, they'll be able to test their new aircraft, which is an electric vertical takeoff and landing vehicle. 
Uh, it's called the Verti, which I think is a play on the words of vertical. And here is a craft that is capable of speeds of up to 300 kilometres an hour. So this, this new facility in Narromine is going to form part of a larger aerospace precinct to attract other developers and, and companies and provide this facility to allow testing uh, to occur even easier. So if you want to, if you are a developer like AMSL Aero, you, you've got a, a flying car in mind, which is basically a passenger drone, then you may be able to set up shop out there as well. This is certainly not limited to AMSL uh, Aero, but they're the ones, first mover advantage, they're the ones that have been in development for a couple of years now, have been developing their flying car. There's a picture of it on, on Tech Guide. This is a concept drawing, of course, and it's basically... And it has a couple of wings and and um, a a like a long longish sort of body shape, so it's not technically a drone where the the props are facing skywards. This is a propeller. The propellers actually face backwards to give the to provide the propulsion. So there's various technologies. There are other companies that are developing the drone technology, but here is a sort of a little bit of a tweak on that design. And if the testing will begin in 2021. So just imagine, at 300 kilometres an hour, it, it's electric as well. So it's environmentally clean. It's also very quiet. Uh, so that that that's big big ticks there already. But 300 kilometres an hour, that can get you place to place pretty fast. And in in areas like country New South Wales and other country towns in not only in Australia but around the world. Um, imagine the, the the drive from one city to the other, and I was in regional New South Wales uh, week before last, and it, it's it's often an hour, two hours between towns. I think we went from uh, Orange to Cowra, and that, that's like an hour and a half drive. But imagine in a vehicle like this going 300 kilometres an hour, like I think the speed limit, the maximum speed limit on those country roads is about 100 kilometres an hour. So it's three times faster right off the bat. Uh, and of course, you you go you go as the crow flies, so you're not having to follow roads around fields and properties. You can just head directly to your location, so that cuts out a bit of time as well. And down the track, of course, this isn't just a limited to country to the country areas and remote areas. Cast your mind back uh, last year or the year before, and that was last year where Uber uh, outlined their new Uber Air proposal which would set up a service that for passengers, just like your regular Uber with a car, their vision is to have Uber Air, so you'll be able to uh, book book a trip, book a, a ride on, a, on an aircraft, which is basically a giant drone that fits up to four passengers. Uh, one of the cities that, that's been earmarked for testing is Melbourne here in Australia. So that, that's the, the idea there. The initial route they're going to set up there is the trip from the airport to the Melbourne CBD, which in traffic can be as long as an hour, but with Uber Air can take as, as short as 15 minutes. So the, the, the wheels are in motion. Well, actually, that's not actually right. The wheels aren't in motion. The propellers are in motion, I should say, to get this technology, to further this technology and provide literally the runway to our transporting future, our travel future. Uh, and this is still, I think, minimum three, four, perhaps even five years out from being test, from being commercially available. There's still a lot of work to do, a lot of testing to be done. But I'll, I'll say it right now. I'll put my hand up for one of the first tests. I'll go up there. Hopefully they can take my weight. I'm over 100 kilos. Hopefully they can, they can fit me in and they can take my weight. 
but uh, I'd love to be one of the one of the passengers. Now it's unclear at this point whether there'll be a pilot in these craft. My gut is that there won't be. These will be automated, uh, guided from ground controls and and automated via GPS and things like that. Uh, I think so. That'll save on the weight because you can imagine these aren't the biggest craft in the world. They're probably like one, perhaps maybe two passengers on board. So having a pilot really sort of takes up the space. So that's event. That's also Uber's plan. Uber's plan was to have a pilot initially before switching over to full automation where that extra seat it can go to a passenger rather than a pilot. So stay tuned for the flying car, passenger drone, whatever you want to call it. But the future is not on the ground on the road. The future is up in the air. So uh, keep an eye out. These are, We're only a few years away, and the good news is that Australia is leading the way in testing these future vehicles, the flying car has finally arrived. If you want to read more about the new flying car testing facility in Narromine, there's also, you can take a look at the image of what it looks like, the uh, the AMSL Aero's Verti vehicle. Uh, feel free to check it out at techguide.com.au. Now, normally at this time of year, I'm uh, booking flights or arranging flights via as, as a guest of Samsung to attend their Unpacked event. The August Unpacked event is normally to announce the new Galaxy Note products. And uh, this, this year, I think, is going to be no different. Uh, they have announced the new virtual Unpacked event is going to take place August 5 at 10 a.m. New York time which makes it, let's say, 12.01 a.m. on August 6. So when August 5 switches to August 6 at midnight, that's when the event will be on. I was going to say midnight August 6, but people might think it's at the end of August 6, but it's at the start of August 6. Can you get it? Do you know what I mean? When you say midnight on August 6, do you talk about midnight 5 to 6 or midnight 6 to 7? Anyway, to... To clear the confusion, I've said 12.01 a.m. on August 6th, which is so a minute after midnight at the start of August 6th. That's when the unpacked event by Samsung will be held. A virtual event, of course. There's no one. I did get a call from Samsung saying, look, just giving you a heads up, uh, the virtual event, we've announced it. It's coming August 5. Uh, normally, we'd be ringing you to arrange flights and accommodation. But this time, all we can do, thanks to COVID, is just let you know that it's on. <laughs> and uh, I will be tuning in like millions of other people around the world, of course. This is a, a public event. People can stream it. Uh, it is a the virtual event which will launch the not only the Galaxy Note 20, but also the new Galaxy Fold. Let's call it the Galaxy Fold 2 because it's the second Galaxy Fold. But the rumours are that the that device will be called something else, but I'll get to that in a moment. But let's talk firstly about the Galaxy Note 20. Now, this is going to be, again, flagship-level product, larger screen. I would be surprised if this is like a 6.9, like it's a really big screen. Note always has a big screen. Uh, Also has the latest processor, power, performance, speed. Everything's packed into this thing. This was the first device a couple of years ago that was able to be connected to a monitor and used as a desktop computer. That's how powerful it is. 
there were, it was even strong enough to play games and everything and run multiple uh, apps at the same time, applications. So it's really impressive. So you can imagine how much better it's gotten in the last couple of years. Now, design-wise, there's not a lot out there design-wise, but we are picking up rumours that it is following, taking a leaf out of the book of the Galaxy S20, which was the the device that was launched in February this year. Before the COVID crisis, what happened? Samsung actually were, they've had a pretty good run this year. They were able to launch their S20 in February before the coronavirus restrictions and they actually sailed through pretty well because none of their factories to produce the S20 were in China. Their factories were in Vietnam and in Korea. So they had a rails run through the whole coronavirus crisis at a time when other companies, Apple included, were struggling to get stock out to Australia and Samsung were providing even more stock for for telcos that, that wanted it. So they've had a, a pretty much a charmed run through this whole coronavirus crisis. Now they're going to follow on that, of course, with this new of this new device, the the uh, announced at the virtual unpacked event, the Galaxy Note 20. So again, it's going to have a lot of design cues taken from the S20, including that camera module. Do you remember the the rectangular camera module on the back of the S20? So they're gonna. It's gonna have, I think, a quadruple camera system, sort of closer to the S twenty Ultra. Uh, it's gonna have the S Pen, of course, the S Pen, which is the trademark device that is included with the S twenty, and it will have even more features. I think it's now Bluetooth connected. It can be used to trigger the camera to to advance your slides on a PowerPoint presentation. So uh, there's no doubt it's gonna have even more functionality when it's announced in early. August and uh, the other the other clue too is uh, uh, Samsung released this little YouTube video showing an S Pen and a bronzy gold rose gold colored droplet falling down and splashing up. Uh, so I think what that points to is this unique new color. I think the flagship color is going to be this bronzy, goldy, rose gold combination color that you can see on my story on Tech Guide. I've included that little YouTube clip. But keep an eye out for that. I think that's going to be one of the feature colours of the Note 20. I think we haven't seen a colour like that before used by Samsung anyway. But uh, I'm really looking forward to that. I'm a big fan of the Note phones, have been for years. uh, And I'm really looking forward to seeing the Galaxy Note 20. But that's not the only device, as we said, that's going to be announced at the Galaxy Unpacked event. The other is the follow-up to the original Galaxy Fold. Now, the Galaxy Fold, originally, the first one, was was unveiled in February last year. So cast your mind back to February 2019 in San Francisco. Uh, I was there, and it was the first time we saw the Galaxy Fold. Never got to touch it, never got to use it, even the following week at Mobile World Congress. So I travelled straight from San Francisco last year to Mobile World Congress, which is the big mobile phone trade show. And even there... The Galaxy Fold was behind glass. It was you weren't able to touch it or use it. None of us got our hands on it till I think September last year at IFA in Berlin, the trade show in Berlin. But what had happened though? You cast your mind back to last year. I think it was due for release in the US around April. And what they did, they sent out of early versions to influencers and YouTubers and and US um, you know, high profile tech reviewers, and it was a disaster. There were issues with the device. People were, were thinking there was a screen protector. They were ripping it off and 
the phone broke. I think MKBHD, Marcus Brownlee, the, the famous tech YouTuber, he actually ripped the screen off the screen, what he thought was a screen protector and actually damaged the phone, as did others. So Samsung really had to that they it was a little bit embarrassing for the company. They took they took all them back. They knew they had to go back to the drawing board to fix these issues. And to their credit, they did. They they went back, fixed it all up. And in fact, the version that we got in Australia was the new and improved and, and repaired version, let's call it, that was, it didn't, didn't release until late October, I think, or early November in Australia. And I reviewed it. I enjoyed it. I think that the potential of it, though, I don't think was fully realized. I think that the front screen was just too small. 4.6. It was tiny. The screen inside had this ugly notch in, on the right-hand side for the cameras. So I liked it. I didn't love it. Let's fast forward to 2020 at this new unpacked event. And what we're going to see here is uh, the new device, which from all accounts is not even going to be called the Galaxy Fold 2. It's going to be called the Galaxy Z Fold. Now, you remember back in February, the other device announced by Samsung was the Galaxy Z Flip, which was their smaller folding phone. So I think this Galaxy Z family of devices is going to be their folding devices. So we've got the Galaxy Z Flip, and next month, by all accounts, we're going to have the Galaxy Z Fold, which is going to be the follow-up to that larger folding device. Now, there are some images that I've managed to get, even of the S20 on Tech Guide, but if these are accurate, I'm all in here, because they've been not only, from, from the rumours, there's not only going to be a larger 6-inch screen on the front of the Fold 2, or the Z Fold, let's call it, but inside gone is the notch they're going to have a little infinity o display so a little hole punch top right hand corner for the camera so you're getting true larger screen without that ugly notch in the top right hand corner but with this image i found there is an s pen so what the fold could include the galaxy z fold is an s pen so it's going to be interesting to see how that's going to be useful because traditionally, typically, folding screens, displays are very delicate. And they even tell you in the box, please handle with care. You've got to treat it gently. Don't press it too hard. And so having an S Pen, I'm really, really keen to learn how that's going to work on the folding screen. It must have like a, a, a bit of, bit more of a softer touch on the, on the pen nib. So it knows it's using a softer material rather than writing on glass like you would with the Note 20. So I'm really keen to see how that would do. And it makes sense having an S Pen with a device like this because opening up that larger screen, I think it's going to be 7.6 inches inside, this big square screen is a great little canvas to write, take notes, whatever you need. I think it's ideal and I'm desperate to get my hands on this device and review it for you guys and also use it as my daily driver. I'm really excited about this and how this new device is going to look and how, how powerful it's going to be. Uh, again, I think it's going to have the uh, that square camera system that was introduced with the Galaxy S20, so keep an ear out for that as well. Uh, I'll be covering all of this, by the way, so for all you guys uh, on, on the early hours of the morning in, or on August 6th. Uh, but look, exciting things coming Samsung's way. They've had a great year so far, and by all indications, they're going to continue to uh, impress customers with these new devices. And 
uh, my understanding too is that from August 6, which will be the announcement, that the devices will go on sale in uh, in just a couple of weeks after that. So I expect, uh, say, around the 20th of August uh, or around that time for these devices to go on sale. Not sure whether the Fold, the Z Fold, might, might go on sale perhaps slightly later than the Note 20. Uh, those details are unclear, but I think what Samsung traditionally do is maybe stagger them so the Note would come out first and maybe the Z Fold maybe a month or two later. But either way, I'm uh, really looking forward to getting my hands on both products. And if you want to take a look at them, they are uh, I've got some images there on Tech Guide as well as that little YouTube video for you to check out. If you want to see that for yourself, check it out at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly supported by our friends at Norton. They're the company that keep you and your family safe online. We live in a world where we're constantly connected. There are cyber attacks more prevalent than ever. There are phishing scams, ransomware, online predators, and big data tracking your every move. Point is, cyber threats have evolved, which is why Norton has too. The new Norton 360 gives you next-level protection, combining the power of device security with a secure VPN to help keep you and your family safe and private online. The new Norton 360 is all-in-one protection for your devices and online privacy. It's available now at leading retailers or au.norton.com. And now, a Tech Guide review with Stephen Fennec. Alrighty, first up in our reviews is a, is a handy little product. It's the Echo Auto. Now, anyone who's an Amazon fan or an Alexa fan knows that Alexa is typically found on a home speaker. You may have uh, an Echo uh, that you might have in your bedroom, in the lounge room, in the kitchen, wherever, and you can you issue your commands through Alexa and then have know the time, know, know who the Prime Minister is, all your questions you're answered, but it can also operate other smart products. Uh, it has a lot of skills as well, so you can uh, book flights and book pe- order pizzas and do various things like that. Also access your content. So anyone who's got is familiar with that ecosystem, there's good news here because this new product, Echo Auto, allows you to bring Alexa along for the ride. So you can now take Alexa on the road and make your car smarter. So the Echo Auto unit is pretty small. It's 8.5 centimetres wide, 4.7 centimetres long, and 1.3 centimetres thick. So pretty small. There's an action button on top and a microphone off button as well if you want to turn the mic off. Uh, comes with a vent mount. So if you've got, you can plug the mount into the vent and then the Echo Auto attaches magnetically to that mount. Uh, I found the, the vent mount doesn't fit every vehicle, didn't suit our car, couldn't fit. Oh, I drive a Tesla, which is probably the last car that I need a Echo Auto, but stick with me. There are, there are some great uses for it. Uh, so it uh, it didn't really fit in the in the the vent with the mount. So what I did is just basically connected it with a USB cable uh, to the car's 12-volt battery source and just sat it on my centre console. Worked fine, not a problem. Uh, but if you do connect it to your vent, you do have to run a cable, though, from the Echo Auto device down to the to wherever your 12-volt power supply is. What comes in the box is a little car plug that has two USB ports on the end of it so that you don't lose... Uh, if you need to charge another device, you're not going to lose a USB. There's a spare one. So you want to charge your phone or charge your other devices, whatever. But one of them needs to be for auto. The other one could be for your phone. 
So you're not getting, uh, not losing a connection there. Uh, but uh, yeah, it doesn't fit every every mount, every vent didn't fit ours, but that wasn't a deal breaker. We still got it. You working? There's an eight microphone array inside, and we could still talk to it. It could hear us perfectly in the car, even if we were playing music. It's this microphone array uh, can uh, pick up your voice and uh, listen out. Uh, the 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 end, then the next step after you've installed it, you do have to connect via Bluetooth. So what happens? You connect auto to your device, and then your device is connected to your car via Bluetooth. But some of you may be saying. What happens if I don't have Bluetooth? Well, there is a solution here as well. It can connect to your vehicle's auxiliary import if it's got one. So if your car doesn't have Bluetooth and you want to uh, connect your phone with an audio cable, you can do that as well. So you connect in auxiliary in from the Echo Auto 3.5mm jack with the included audio cable into your car. Echo then connects to your phone and you've suddenly got a Bluetooth-connected phone in your car hands-free calling, you can talk to it to uh, bring up uh, a map, say, you know, navigate to wherever, and it will pop up on the screen. So suddenly your not-so-smart car is a lot smarter with Echo Auto. Now, I mentioned earlier, I use this in my Tesla. So my Tesla's already got everything in there. I've got maps. I've got access to all my content. But, it, you know, it did make some of the features on the Echo Auto redundant in my case. But if you're driving an older car then this could be an absolute breakthrough. What I liked it, though, I still use it, and i still got it in my car, and I use it every day. I like that I can access content through it. Now, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I listen to a lot of uh, audio books, uh, and I was able, using my voice, to nominate podcasts I wanted to listen to. I was even able to, say, resume my audio book or play the audio book, uh, and that's through, uh, that's through Audible, which is actually owned by Amazon. So all Audible is an Amazon company. So naturally, these work hand in glove. So that was really cool. Typically, what I would normally do to access the podcasts or, or my audio books, I would have to touch my, my phone in the mount and then access it that way, go to the app, scroll down the one I want. But in this instance, or, or go to the audio book app, hit, hit the title I'm listening to, hit play, in this instance, it does it all. I haven't taken my hands off the wheel, and it's giving me that content. Same thing for music. If you're an Amazon Amazon Music customer, even Apple Music, Spotify, you can link all your music services through it. You get you get your voice control of, of that as well. So this, even though I've got, in my case, and this is the only car I had, so I couldn't just hire a car to test it. This was the only car, car I had. I am going to gift this to my daughter. I want her to use it. She's got an older car, Toyota Yaris, which she, I know for a fact, she uses an audio cable to connect to her phone. So this could be a, a real a real change for her to use it in her in her car. So like if you've already got Bluetooth in your car, if you've got CarPlay, Android Auto, uh, you're, even an iPhone or Google phone, you've already got Siri, you've already got Google Assistant. So you can sort of do a lot of this. But there are some, and these are sort of unique to Alexa features, where you can have these other skills or access that certain uh, content in a certain way. Uh, when you, when I was accessing the maps, I noticed when you're using an iPhone, uh, the default map is naturally Apple Maps, but you can in the in the Alexa app change the default to either Google Maps or Waze. But it did involve tapping the screen, whereas if you had an Android phone. Android works straight away without you having to touch the screen. It would fire up Google Maps and would just work. You didn't have to touch the screen at all. So 
in, the, in this instance, Android has a slight advantage there. Uh, and again, you can also access the skills that I mentioned earlier. So you can uh, you can have asked to play a game, uh, check your bank balance, uh, play your road trip uh, playlist. You can even ask for news headlines. You can even order a pizza. If you're getting close to home and order a pizza, you can do that as well. But here is, I reckon, what you'll use. If you're an already in the Alexa family, this is the feature that I think you will like the most. If you've already got some devices set up at home and controlled through Alexa, the, the classic here is that you can do, you can also, that control extends now to your car. So with Echo Auto, say you pull up in your driveway, you can turn on the lights from your car using your voice. Even on the way home, you can say turn on the porch light or turn on the heater, turn on the air conditioner. Whatever you've got set up, or you can check uh, if you've left home, if you've left the iron on, you can check if you've left the garage, if you've shut the garage door, you can check that as well. So that gives you peace of mind, but also allows you to extend the control of your Alexa ecosystem beyond your house. So it takes it into your car as well. Now, I said already, a newer car, which, which will already have a display, built-in GPS and voice control, a lot of the features you've already got, but there are still those other features that are useful. Uh, so the, the Echo Auto, I think, is uh, it's it's a cool way of taking Alexa with you anywhere. Uh, it's available now. It's seventy nine bucks, so it's not going to break the bank. It's pretty affordable, uh, but it's ideal, of course, for uh, ideal for customers who want to make their cars smarter, easy to control with their voice to access their content, uh, and also access all those skills and all those other features. And if you just can't bear to leave Alexa behind, well, now you can take her with you with Echo Auto. If you want to read our complete review of Echo Auto, $79, check it out at techguide.com.au. Well, Samsung are in the news again, but this time for their soundbars. They've just released their new Q-series soundbars, and these are the big daddy of the soundbar range. The Q-series, there's two in the lineup here. There's the Q950T, and there's the Q900T. Now, both out-of-the-box support Dolby Atmos, DTSX, as well as eARC. ARC is short for Audio Return Channel, by the way. Uh, and that, that supports high-quality surround sound like true, like Dolby True HD and really is a feast for the year. So if you really enhances your home entertainment experience. But the Q950T, which is the top of the line, this supports 9.1.4 channels. So that's the most you'll find in a home theatre soundbar. So nine different directional channels. Then there's the one subwoofer channel, so that's non-directional. That'll just give you the bass sounds and the explosions and rumbling. Then there's the point four, which is the Dolby Atmos speaker. So there's a four Atmos up-firing speakers. It comes with rear speakers as well. So that's what you get. That's the point four is your Atmos. So you'll there's also a left and right wide channel speaker so that it will give you even better uh, directional motion. So it'll express the motion on the screen even better. Uh, and with the two rear up-firing up speakers, they're wireless too. All that needs power, but there's no need to they connect wirelessly to the front of the system. So it really takes your, your entertainment experience and pumps it up to uh, even greater quality and... Dolby Atmos is something you can access on all Ultra 4K HDs and even Blu-ray, 
but also too you can you can have there are Dolby Atmos titles on Netflix. Uh, 4K is available, of course, on on Stan and Netflix, and Disney Plus has um, has some. I don't think it's got any Dolby Atmos. De- definitely Netflix has Dolby Atmos, but if you want to ensure Dolby Atmos, and in my opinion, better quality Dolby Atmos, then you need the 4K Ultra HD disc uh, that will really showcase this as well. But the uh, the Q900T that's a 7.1.2 channel system, so it's seven. Directional channels, subwoofer, and two Dolby Atmos uh, speakers as well. So there's a point two there at the end. Uh, and also, though, these two speakers, if you happen to also purchase a 2020 Samsung QLED TV, these soundbars naturally sync through the Samsung TV to a new feature called the Q Symphony. So what this means is the TV speakers and the soundbar speakers are in unison. So they play surround sound both from the TV and the soundbar to create this amazing soundscape. <laughs> it just uh, it ups it even further. If you're in the Samsung family, of course, naturally they're going to look after their own customers if they've already got a Samsung 2020 QLED TV. This soundbar would be the ultimate add-on, the ultimate accessory for that TV. So out of the box, you're going to get a great experience. Now, design-wise, both soundbars have been revamped in terms of their look and size. One thing you'll notice is that the the uh, the soundbars are covered in this in this textile fabric. It's called Cavadret textile fabric, so it gives it a more premium look and feel. Um, also, the height of the soundbars have also been reduced. Would you believe they're just 69.5 millimeters? So that's the height of the soundbar. So they'll easily fit, they'll perfectly fit below the TV screen. Because the worst thing you can have is a fat soundbar that takes up the bottom of your TV screen. You don't want that. Naturally, Samsung, their own soundbars will suit their own TVs perfectly, even other TVs. If they're only 695 millimeters high, most TVs, that's, that's going to be just perfect size to sit under the screen and not, not uh, impede the screen at all. So very exciting, the new soundbar range, which we're all tested in the U.S. Audio Lab, by the way. I've been to that Audio Lab. It's in it's in Valencia, just outside of Los Angeles, uh, not far from um, the the Magic, not Magic Mountain. It's the, the Six Flags uh, Amusements Park. It's the theme park. That's uh, not far from there. Actually, out the window of the Audio Lab, you can see all the the crazy rides out there. But the, these new soundbars, I'm looking forward to uh, listening to them. I, I did have a brief listen to them uh, on a trip to Korea late last year. They were announced at the, at the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. I did hear them again there. But I'm, uh, I would love to have a Samsung TV and this soundbar underneath to really soak, up, soak it up. I think it's going to really take your home theatre, your home viewing experience to the next level. And they always say audio adds so much to your enjoyment of, of I can I'm a huge believer in that fact. Good audio leads to even greater enjoyment of the movie. So you can achieve all that kind of that level of audio excellence with these new Samsung soundbars. If you want to check them out, you know where to find them, techguide.com.au Now, Belkin have come up with a new range of charging and screen protection products. The first one is the Boost Charge 
portable wireless charger and stand. So what this device is, it's it's $129.95, but it's basically a stand that recharges a battery, but the battery also has wireless charging. So while the battery's charging in the stand, you can rest your iPhone or any other Qi charging certified device against that battery and it'll charge it. So then when you're ready to go out, you grab the battery and you can either connect, you can either power your device wirelessly, so you just rest your phone on top of it, or with a cable. So while you're at your desk, you've got a charging stand. When you're heading out, you've got a portable battery that's capable of wireless charging and cable charging at the same time. The two-in-one. The, that's the Boost Charge Portable Wireless Charger and Stand Special Edition. Uh, I think that's a terrific idea and uh, one that will be very useful, uh, especially if you want to be charged while you're heading out and even charge while your phone is at your desktop. Uh, the other is the Boost Charge 3-in-1 Wireless Charger Special Edition. Now, this is $219.95, and it's for the Apple customer who has got an iPhone, an Apple Watch, and AirPods. I called them last week the trifecta. If you've got the Apple trifecta, this is a product that will allow you to, to charge all three of those devices. I think last week it was the Vissels. Uh, it was pretty pretty cheap import, uh, affordable this, though, is on another level. It's all Qi certified, really beautifully designed. So can, you can rest your iPhone to charge, your Apple Watch as well on the front. And inside the band of the Apple Watch while it's charging is a wireless charging space for your AirPods. So you need to have the wireless charging, uh, the, the charging case for your AirPods for this to work. Um, so they just rest on their side and all three devices can be charged. And these are Qi certified, compatible with AirPods Pro and AirPods with a wireless charging case, Apple Watch, and any phone as well that has Qi charging. Can even handle cases if you've got a, up to a three millimeter case. Uh, and an LED light will tell you when it's when that device is charging because worst thing you want on a wireless charger is, is putting your phone in the wrong position and it's just been sitting there and not charging. That little LED light will tell you, yep, it's in the right spot and it's charging. So that's a really good to know. The other product too is the uh, charging wireless pad. This is a 7.5 watt special edition. That's 84.95, and this charges iPhone 8 and later at the optimal charge level. So 7.5 watt is actually pretty fast. So, so you get a decent charge out of that, and again can charge inside cases. Can also charge up uh, your AirPods as well. So that that wireless charging mat, if you do rest your AirPods in the middle of it, it will charge those as well. Uh, lastly, they've also got screen protection, but not just any old screen protection. This is what they're calling true privacy screen protection. Uh, this is $84.95, and this is a, a screen protector for your MacBook. The 13-inch MacBook, I think, is what they've made it for. And this is a privacy screen. So it protects your screen, of course, but it also offers privacy. So if, if someone's sitting next to you in a plane, in a cafe, they look, they're looking at your screen from an angle. They'll see nothing. It's just black. So you, your, your screen content, your display, is private. You need to be sitting directly in front of the laptop for you to see the screen properly. So there's no uh, uh, this, these people on, their, on the side, sort of you know, sideways glancing at your screen, looking at what you're doing, a presentation. might be some sensitive material you're looking at. You might be doing some banking. You don't want people looking looking at your stuff. I, I can't tell you how many flights I've been on where passengers next to me are working on presentations with sensitive stuff, and I've said nothing about it, but it's there for all to see. But with this new 
screen protection, the true privacy, that uh, the, the person next to you will see nothing. They'll just see black. They won't be able to see your screen. Those Belkin chargers and the true screen, true privacy screen protection, all handy, if you're, especially if you're an Apple customer with either the iPhone, Apple Watch, AirPods, and a MacBook. Uh, they've got you covered for charging and also for your screen privacy. If you want to see all those products, you can check them out at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly supported by Netgear, Australia's number one Wi-Fi brand. Is your Wi-Fi struggling to keep up with your streaming, your work, gaming, video calling and more? What about all at once? When you're connected to your world by Wi-Fi, be sure it's the best. Bring your Wi-Fi up to speed with Orbi Wi-Fi 6 from Netgear. Orbi Wi-Fi 6 is the best and latest in Wi-Fi. It covers your entire home with the fastest Wi-Fi for uninterrupted streaming, video calling, and working and learning from home on more devices than ever before in any part of the house. It's Wi-Fi perfectly engineered. It's ready. If you're ready for the best Wi-Fi ever, find out more at netgear.com slash best Wi-Fi. And now, answering all your tech questions, the Tech Guide Help Desk. The Tech Guide Help Desk uh, this week, which is brought to you by Belkin. We just mentioned their products earlier. So if you're after a charger, the privacy protection, uh, they make great cables. Belkin is where you go, belkin.com forward slash au. The Help Desk this week, uh, I'm answering a question that I did mention on the radio. Uh, someone rang in about converting VHS to digital. And yes, that's still still a thing. Uh, you, there are plenty of uh, products to use. There are oh, the one I use, and I think it's available still on Amazon, is the Roxio VHS to DVD. And this this was basically a USB dongle that connects to your computer with the cables out the front. So remember the old red, white, and yellow cables. They've got little connectors for those out the back of the USB, and they then connected to the my VHS player. So press play on the VHS and fire up the software on your computer and it is going to convert the playback from your VHS into digital. Now, here's the thing, though. People have to remember, for you to do this properly, you need to have a working VCR. Just having a pile of VHS tapes, unfortunately, is not enough. So you need to have a working VCR for this to work. So don't be ordering the convert the VHS to DVD without a VHS player that works because that's part of the process. Uh, if you don't have that, unfortunately, you probably need to sort of get professional help to convert your tapes. But for those of you who still have a working VCR, and I've got one, I'm in, I'm in the middle of converting my thousands of tapes. It does take a long time. Uh, but it is very handy. If you even, uh, I think it, it, there is a process in some of them that will play back at twice the speed and, and still convert it in digitally, so you can play it back at the normal speed. So that, that does save a bit of time. But... Very handy because you've got to remember, once the longer you leave VHS, the worse it's going to be. It's magnetic tape. It degrades over time. So uh, best not to leave this. Best to get to it sooner rather than later. So if you want to convert your VHS tapes to DVD, now you know what to do.
And we've reached the end of our show for this week. Uh, everything we've spoken about, uh, you can find at techguide.com.au. So all the links, all the pictures, everything, all the explanations is all at our website. Please visit techguide.com.au. And we'd love to hear from you. So send us an email, info at techguide.com.au, or click on my face on the homepage, the Ask Stephen icon, and that will open up an email to me, and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. We want to give a special shout-out, too, to our sponsors, Netgear, the brand you can trust for all your Wi-Fi needs, and also Norton, the company that can keep you and your family safe online. Uh, Please support the sponsors that support us. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week. So until then, stay safe and stay connected.